Well, good morning, one and all. I have been told that I am going to be the first apostate at in town church because no one has ever presented a lesson with a PowerPoint here at our church before. So, not only that, but I stole it. This is actually Andy Cantrell's work. If you know Andy, you'll know I'm not Andy Cantrell, but I thought the lesson was good enough that anyone could repeat it and it would still make a good point. I was enamored with this lesson because at the time I was steeped in corporate America and it reminded me much of an orientation that you might receive in corporate America and it's a good analogy. As Robin did the analogy last week on the moon, having no light of its own, but it's only a reflection of the sunlight, this is a good analogy that Andy has presented, and I'm going to, to use it to see if we can't learn a few lessons on the Christian in the workplace, the jobs and titles of the Christian. So, as we know, we are all workers for the Lord, and this is an introduction, or perhaps for most of us, I should hope, a continuation of something that we know, but we need to refine and work harder at, work more at. So I want to start with Philippians in chapter five, or chapter one, verses five through seven. I'll break this down just a little bit. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, notice participation in the gospel. For I am confident of this very thing: who began a good work in you? We'll perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Notice again, a good work. Work, ergon, or for those of you who really speak Greek, ergon. A proceeding along a course to accomplish a goal. I really enjoyed that definition. I thought it was very concise, very, a very good way of stating what a goal or what a work is. It is a, something to achieve a goal. So it was only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me. Partake, konia, the same word that's used for communion, is to have a part, to be, to be given a part in, to have a part. It is also to take part, same word, same idea, but not only are we given a part, we're supposed to take a part, which is the idea of participation that we talked about there at the first. Not only to take a part, but to be a part of a people. He goes on in Philippians in verse 27, chapter 1, to say, for to you has been granted for the sake of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and that you now hear to be in me. So Paul is calling on the Philippians and by proxy us too to be part of what he was involved in. But back in verse 9 he says, And I pray that your love may still abound more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of the things that are excellent. So he's calling on them to participate and to participate with love in addition to that. The idea of having visible thoughts 
with visible results is what we want to look at this morning. We want to think about these things and then put them into action. Some guidelines for Christians in the workplace. First and most important, our attitude. Our attitude is the attitude of love. It takes us day to day into our Christian life. Three things about our attitude from Deuteronomy 6. Our heart. Deuteronomy 6 is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. A heart that is true and honest. A mind that is rational and visible. If you notice, Deuteronomy 6 says nothing about a mind. It says heart and soul and strength. But in Matthew and Mark, both add the word mind. So I think Christianity has an idea behind it that we are supposed to think through this. We're supposed to be cognizant of what we're doing. It's not just a service that we perform because we're commanded to do it. We have to think about it. We have to live it. We have to love it. We have to do it with our heart and with our minds. And of course, our soul. Our soul belongs to God. As a matter of fact, it all belongs to God. There are many experts in this world today. Everybody can be an expert in this world today. Postmodern tells us, postmodernism tells us that all truth comes from within. So whatever you believe can be your own truth. Whether you're an agnostic, an atheist, or a scientist, you have equal right to that. But for us, we need to be humbly seeking the Lord because He indeed is our complete and total authority. And only His Word will judge us. It all, all belongs to God. Churches don't say and members don't judge. It all belongs to God. And that's who we serve. Our gifts that are given to us, as Ephesians 4, 8 through 11 tells us, that we are given gifts. And he gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, notice this, for the work of service to the body of Christ. So what happens is we have all of this work that we're supposed to do to raise up the body of Christ, that is, the local congregation. We can't do anything about the church universal. That belongs to God himself and Jesus Christ. But the local congregation, that is our workplace. That is what we are supposed to be working at. Romans chapter 12 and verse 6. In the context of being living sacrifices to our Lord Jesus Christ, he says, we all have gifts that differ. Let each one use his gifts according to how he has been blessed. I should use my Bible instead of writing this stuff down. 
Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If in service, his service. He who teaches in his teaching, who exhorts in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So the idea is we have these gifts, whether it be prophecy or service, teaching, and we have to use them with the abilities that we have been given. What I want to do is take a few minutes to look at the qualities of the participants, that is us, who have these gifts and see how we can participate, how we can grow, how we can be faithful, how we can be diligent, how we could submit to esteem one another and to love. So imagine we're at a restaurant and there's seven of us sitting at a table. And the waiter comes up, he's got his tray full of food and drinks, and he stumbles. Food and drinks go everywhere, all over everyone. And how we react is going to show us how, what gifts we've been given and how we can use them. Now some of these gifts we think oh, immediately, I have that or I don't have that. I'm gonna start off with a couple of those that we might have or not have. And the first one being, oh, it was by Andy Cantrell, not my work. The first gift being, how do I know what my gift is? Well, what do you do when the waiter spills his food? Are you a prophet? Are you a minister? Are you a teacher? Are you an exhorter, a giver, a leader, or merciful? Well, I know my gift now is, oh, I'm one slide back, okay to participate, to grow, to be faithful, to be diligent, to submit and to esteem others and to love. So, the first gift, everyone is one of these, aren't we? We're prophets. We are all prophets. We have God's word. We can speak God's word. That's the simple, basic definition of a prophet, one who speaks God's words. It's not that we foretell the future. It's that we have God's word and we know it and we speak it. What is our motivation? To speak truth with love. That we tell people truly what the Bible says. We don't always have to be mean and didactic about it, but we need to know and understand it and speak it with confidence and understanding. The motivation for a prophet? Or what would a prophet say? Well, be careful. Of course, the waiter needs to be more careful. He just spilt drinks and food over everyone. Not exactly a nice thing to say perhaps, but certainly something that is going to correct the problem if the waiter indeed takes it to heart and is more careful the next time. So what we need is to be prophets who participate. This is the quality of a prophet, the one who takes Isaiah's heart to mind and says, here I am. Send me. The most important thing we have to do in Christianity is participate. So prophets. This local congregation needs prophets who expose sin, reprove, rebuke, correct, exhort, instruct. 
persuasively proclaim the word of God. Givers. We all give. We got a box at the back. Some people are naturally givers. They give because that is what, that's how they operate. That's how they work. So the giver, when it's spilled, he says, well, I'll be happy to buy everybody some more. What's the motivation of giving? It's to meet a need. We want to give so people will have what they need to participate, to be the Christians that they should be. And don't forget, it's not just money that we give. It's time. It's effort. It's ourselves. As Paul said, I will gladly spend and be spent for you. The idea that we give of ourselves to other people and not just our money. But we meet their needs. Givers. Cheerfully and liberally provide assistance, financial assistance, and other resources to support evangelism. The saints in need, whether it be spiritual or physical. And other important needs that we have here. Whether it just be fellowship or singing that we sing together. The leader. I don't consider myself a leader. I'm not the one who will organize and plan, initiate, motivate, keep things running in decent order. Just don't do that. But when I lead, if you give me the job of leading, I'll think about it, and then I'll mess it up. But when I lead, I do what I'm supposed to do. And people see me doing what I'm supposed to do and say, oh, look, he's doing what he's supposed to do. Perhaps I should do that also. So just lead by example. But the idea of a leader is to get us to achieve our goals. They plan, initiate, and keep us moving forward. The minister, the servant. We're all ministers, all ministers of Christ. We are there to serve. I'll help you clean it up. Would that be what you would say to the waiter when he spills? Do you reach over to the guy next to you and start cleaning the, the food off of him before you take care of your own jacket? <clears throat> So how do we become better ministers? Here I am, send me. We participate first of all. And then we grow. Second Peter 3 and 18 simply says, grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we grow to become better ministers. And of course, we should all be familiar with 2 Peter 1.5. That was our theme from last year. That to your knowledge, to your faith you add virtue. To your virtue you add knowledge. To your knowledge you add self-control. And to your self-control you add perseverance. And to your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. Because these qualities are yours and are increasing and you will neither be useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And interesting to me is 2 Peter 3.18 was the year theme 
the year that I left Lilburn to come here, and that was the theme that was here the year I got here, and they were both in this slide by Andy, and it just was quite coincidental to me, but good, good thoughts that we could work on for a whole year, and there's that passage written down. How shall I know we participate, we remain faithful? Knowing that we have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who lives, this is the selflessness that ministry takes. giving practical assistance to everyone, every member in the church, to encourage them and equip them for the things that we need to be doing for Christ. The teacher. But the reason that fell, it was too heavy on one side, and you tripped. The reason to discover why and tell others about it. That's what teachers do. They understand and they know and they tell others. Submit to one another. Teachers submit to God. Submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. As teachers, and we all should be teachers, being able to, as First Peter says, to know how to tell people about the hope that is within us with grace and respect. So we all need to be teachers. But if we fail, if we fall short, if we commit public sin, then... We have diminished any ability we have to reach others. And that is the idea behind submitting, therefore, to God. And also, I did slow these slides down last night. I thought they were going back too fast, but it seems a little slow. So do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, because if you are a worldly person, you cannot teach people about Jesus Christ. Teachers are diligent in preparing in-depth Bible studies with emphasis on accurate details, meaning his word, clarity, and teaching the word. And don't ever forget application. Absolutely, we must apply these things. The exhorter. I'll help you carry some of them next time. Let me help you. Let me encourage you. Let me walk with you to move forward in a positive way, to correct for the future. How do we encourage people? We esteem them. We esteem them more highly than ourselves. We go out of our way to help them. We need exhorters who are excited and contagious, who give personal counseling and encouragement to helping others apply scriptural principles in their daily lives. We esteem one another. We regard them more highly than ourselves. The same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Exhorters, as I just 
said, personal counseling. The merciful. It could happen to anybody. Bad things happen to all of us. But Hebrews tells us that many times bad things happen to us for our own good. Hebrews 12 and verse 5. And in case you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as son, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. He scourges every son whom he receives. And in verse 11, all discipline for the moment does not seem joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. We're to encourage one another, to be merciful to one another. Yes, bad things happen to all of us. Have grace and mercy upon your brothers and sisters when things go, don't go exactly as they had hoped they would, and indeed, perhaps quite wrong, but the idea that we would love and serve one another and be merciful to them. Merciful people who have special concern for the varying feelings and difficulties of others with the readiness to meet their needs and to help us be a warm and loving family. It is a family operation here that we have. And as we begin to wrap up, again, we participate. We participate with love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. For God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that he has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Beloved, if God so loved us, ought we not to love one another? Characters. Peter and Jeremiah. Jeremiah the hard-headed. Nobody is going to listen to you. Go anyway. Speak the truth. A minister. Timothy. Paul says of Timothy, I have no other one like him that I would send to you. Be Timothy. Be like no other that can speak and teach the words of God. Tabitha or Dorcas from the book of Acts. Oh, they loved her and the fine clothing that she made for everyone. So much so was Peter impressed that he raised her from the dead, or perhaps even more so, God was impressed that he raised her from the dead. Teachers like Luke and Ezra, if you don't know these stories, learn these stories. Luke was a teacher. Luke was a historian. Luke wrote the gospel so that Theophilus would understand it, set it down in order from beginning to end. It's all there in a history book, according to Luke in the book of Acts. I had to think a minute. How was Ezra a teacher? And I went back and did a quick review of the book of Ezra. And I'm going to go back and study Ezra with the idea of Ezra being a teacher in mind. 
Because quite honestly, I'm not making that connection yet. I need to know that story better so I can learn how to teach like Ezra taught. The exhorters. Every one of Paul Wetter, I think he says, I'm writing this to exhort you. And Barnabas, the son of encouragement. Great men of great examples. If you don't know the stories, learn them. If you do learn, know the stories, apply them. The giver, the centurion, the first Gentile convert. He gave alms. He gave to the, the Lord. The leader, Nehemiah. Prayerful Nehemiah. Perhaps the longest and the shortest prayer in the Bible. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. He was sad. If you go before the king sad, the king could have your head cut off. Nehemiah had found out the, the walls of Jerusalem were still broken down. He was sad. So he wept and prayed for days. And then he went before the king, and the king says, You look sad. What's wrong? Jeremiah prayed, and then he responded to the king. He prayed for days, and then he prayed in a second. Nehemiah the prayerful and the leader took all the people back and rebuilt the walls in 27 days once he convinced them that God was, they were living in panels houses and God was not, his walls were not rebuilt. The merciful John, oh how wonderful to read the, the letters in the book of John. He's just the epitome of mercy. He's mercy embodied. So there's your characters that, that represent these gifts that we've talked about. The centurion. The first Gentile convert. He gave alms. He gave. He was a righteous man. But he was not saved until he was baptized. That's the whole purpose of Acts 10, to show that the Gentiles would not be saved until they were baptized. Oh. Participate. It's not just for the local evangelist who gets paid to do preaching and teaching. It really is for all of us to demonstrate as Jesus demonstrated all of these characteristics. No, we won't all be strong at each and every one of them, but the ones that we're strong at, we can use effectively. The ones that we're weak at, we can work on getting better at. And that, my friends, is the lesson that I have for you this morning. As I mentioned, we must be partakers of Christ in order to participate in Christ, which is really what I wanted to drive home, is that we all would participate in Christ. But if you're not baptized into Christ, you're not a participant in Christ. And if you don't recognize the veracity of what I've said, the truthfulness of it, I would encourage you to study it thoroughly because the scripture is plain that we must be baptized to be with Christ. So. Let us be encouraged and let us sing as we go into this week.